Amber and I were driving behind a bus on the way here this morning as she was driving. I was not driving. I'm not a good not driver sometimes. And she was stuck behind this big bus, and I was like going 12 miles an hour. And I was like, could you just get away from the bus? I have PTSD for buses. <laughs> we used to own a bus here. And I just don't ever want to ride on another bus. I don't want to fix another bus. I don't want to drive another bus. And so um, every, I thought I was over it, but I'm not. So you may have had a really crappy church experience if you're out there or here. And I just want to tell you, not going to happen here. We're going to do our best. We'll always be honest and transparent. But we're trying here to not build a church, but to build a community. Just a community of people who are very real. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun. So that's cool. I, I guess we should start. So I just want to say this. Uh, how many people, just raise your hand, know how to play Never Have I Ever? All right. You're the fun people in the room. The other people do not know. I uh, I, we, we have, we've had a request to plant a church in Mexico. They came up to see us. We we're in San Antonio. And I said, let me ask you a question. Have you ever played Never Have I Ever? And they translated it. Everybody went like this. And then they told me the name of theirs, which I can't say. But they do play Never Have I Ever there as well. So if you don't know how Never Have I Ever works, it's a drinking game. Stop. No, we're not going to drink. Stop. No, we're not encouraging you to go get drunk or anything. I said we like to have fun. So we're just having fun, okay? So we're not going to do shots. We're not encouraging you to get drunk. You don't have to drink. Yes, the Bible says you can handle if you want, but you don't need to. It's not about that. We're just having fun. So let me tell you how to play Never Have I Ever. Harriet, have you ever played Never Have I Ever? You haven't? That amazes me. No, I'm sorry. Okay, so... <laughs> You had to know Harriet in the old days now. Harriet can dance on a table. All right, good. So, so listen, listen, we've been together a long time, haven't we? Yeah. So this now never have I ever worked. So, so it's, a, it's a game. And so you say like, you know, somebody says, like, I'm it. So I say, well, you know, never have I ever X. And, and so I, and I, it's got to be a true statement. Like, I've never, you know, done that. And I say that. And if you have done that, then... You, you drink. In this case, we're going to stand up. We're not going to take shots, okay? So we're going to stand up. So let's just test this real quick. I'm throwing one in. It's a wild card. We already had a plan. Let's test it. Never have I ever tagged a water tower. I found out about this on a mission trip. <laughs> the brother... Confessed to climb, you knew it was coming. Climbing a water tower, he was trying to refine how I would play this game. And he's like, be like this, Doug. And he gave it to me. So Keith, in his younger days, or maybe last week, we don't know, has climbed a water tower and tagged it. And I so, what did you tag it? I mean, because was tagging even around then? Did they call it tagging? No, it wasn't tagging. You spray painted Your initials? <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> That's some ingenious stuff. All right, so the rest of you now, let's all, we're going to do two practices and we'll do the real thing for the day. All right, never have I ever ridden a mechanical bull. Never. What? Isn't it amazing? Well, give them a round of applause. They were, that's awesome. Rebecca Sandage has ridden a mechanical bull. Oh, wow. Rebecca, I want to hear that story later. I just can't even picture it. That's awesome. All right, all right, all right. Uh, never have I ever, Amber, get ready. This one's for you. Never have I ever slept in my car. Dude. All right, while you're up, let's just do this real quick. 
if if it was for fun, you know, like it was okay, like you, you know, you're just like fell asleep when you got home from work, or you wanted to raise your hand if it was a, okay. And the rest of you, God bless you. We're sorry. <laughs> cool. All right, good. All right. So now for the real, for the real, never have I ever. You ready? We should, it's too bad. Jamie was on the trip. They won't let her touch the drums because she wasn't here for practice. Been like, ready? Good? Never have I ever been condemned. So what I want to say to you is this. I'm sorry on behalf of whoever condemned you, whoever looked down on you, whoever drug you through the mud. But I want you to look left and right and look around. If you're up front, look around. The cool part is you're not alone. You are not alone. It stinks. We don't like it. It happens to us. But you're not alone. Cool. Have a seat. For those of you who were, didn't stand up, I mean, I would just like to say, probably everybody who's standing up, we would say to you, we are so glad you have never experienced condemnation. Some of you may be thinking like, well, what do we mean by condemnation? So what we mean by condemnation is not what sometimes we think. So I have some really good friends, right? Most of you here are really good friends of mine. Right? They're here. And, and if I'm acting like an idiot, there's people in this room who will say to me, hey, Doug, you're acting like an idiot. So that's not condemnation. That's friendship. That's somebody looking out for me, trying to pull me back and guide me. Does that make sense? Um, I have a tendency uh, to have a little too much fun sometimes. And I can, I can trespass into areas that Amber's like, I don't know if you should be telling this story right now. And she like looks at me and stops me. And she's like, quit. That's not condemnation. It's not even correction. So, so there's the, the idea here is that we really got to get down pat what condemnation is. Because a lot of people, like me with the bus, we have PTSD. We may have grown up in a household where there was just a ton of condemnation. And then we, we just kind of just transference things. Somebody else looks at us and says, dude, you're better than that. And we take that as what? Condemnation. And we miss out on a really, really great friendship. Credible verse in the Bible, one of my favorite, all-time favorites, right? And it goes this way. It's what? As iron sharpens iron. I love it. As iron sharpens iron. So a friend sharpens a friend. See, that's, that's not condemnation. If you have people in your life or if you've gone transparent and you said, like, I'm in discipleship, we say this all the time, like, so you're in discipleship, Ed? And he's like, yeah, that's code for I don't have to, I don't have to dance. I don't have to... We know we're all in together, right? So I could just say to you, like, Ed, you're not supposed to murder people. And so Ed, Ed's like, well, I'll put this knife down. Okay. That's, you know what I mean? That, so, but what is condemnation then? Because if condemnation is something more than that. It's, it's not helpful. Well, see, condemnation, what it does is it begins to attack our character. And most of you stood up, have some flavor of this, right? Because what condemnation says is, you're not good enough right? You're not good enough. You aren't doing right. You're bad, right? And that's where condemnation comes. And a lot of us, unfortunately, have experienced that in church, right? In, in communities of believers. 
And they really probably are, but somewhere along the way, everybody's lost their way, right? And so, you know, we say, oh, come on, come on. Get saved. Who got saved like that? Like you were kind of wretched. Everybody was like, oh, we're so glad that dude got saved because that was me. And then when I came into the church, they didn't know what to do with me. And boy, it was like whack-a-mole. Anybody been there? That's condemnation. That you're not good enough. You need to change. This is hard. You got to fix that. Okay. Now, condemnation actually says this quiet thing. And I think it's why it's so painful. Because condemnation says, I'm better than you. Right? Condemnation. To really condemn somebody, you actually have to believe you're better than them. Whether you would say that or not. Because how can you condemn somebody for their behavior or who they are or condemn them because of, you know, whatever. How can you condemn somebody unless you think you're better? Like you have the right to what? Judge the equation. So it is. It doesn't just say you're. It, it's not like that action's wrong. It's you're wrong. I'm better. You're not good enough. And those are the words we hear. Okay. So for everybody who stood up today, who if you if, now that we kind of define what condemnation is, if you would have still stood up, what I want to tell you is this, this another one of my favorite verses that totally is the solution. It's the antidote to condemnation. It's the antibiotic to that disease. Do you get it? It's the cure. And it's one of my, if you had a life verse, I don't know, how do you, the whole Bible's a life verse, but like one of those ones that just stuck with me, probably because I lived condemned, right? But it's John 3, 17. It reads this way. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So for everybody who hates God, I want you to hear this. God did not send Jesus, he did not become present on this earth to condemn you and tell you you weren't good enough. He did not come to tell you that what you were doing is wrong or that you were wrong. He did not come, he didn't do any of that. This is John, he's one of the first followers of Christ, and he's telling you he sat with Jesus, he knows what Jesus' purpose was. And God did not come on this earth to say you're not good enough. He came on this earth to save you. Now, he might tell you that something you're doing is wrong. We do it with kids, right? But as we condemn our kids, we don't love our kids. Do you get it? So the coolest and most freeing thing to me is this. For anybody who has a God problem, you know, you get over it. Because he did, he's not in the con condemnation business. He didn't come here to condemn. He came here to save. And so what would it be like if we... Every Christian you know, every church you've ever been to, if everybody lived that way, what would that be like? How freeing would that be? Okay, well, Carla, that stinks. You, you, whatever you're doing is wrong, but I believe in you. What, see, do you see that attitude shift? Yeah, what, what you're doing might be wrong. You, you might just be immature spiritually or as a human, and, and you have to grow up and, or whatever. But the point is, I believe in you. I am not showing up into the equation of your life to tell you you're not good enough. I'm showing up in the equation of your life to say, I will do anything I can to help you get here, the next place, whatever your next place is. And I think it would just be stellar to have that kind of life. But the problem is, when people show up to condemn, and if you're, by the way, maybe we should say, never have I ever condemned somebody, because we're probably all guilty of this at some point. But if you think about it, when you condemn somebody, 
we're doing something that's not necessary. So everybody, you know, all of you who stood up and said you've been condemned before, just wave your hand real quick. Okay, did you need somebody to tell you you were wrong and bad and did you need to have somebody tell you you weren't good at, you already, if, you, if you're doing something wrong, don't you already feel bad? Don't you already know you're wrong? And the last thing you need is somebody to give them and go, rah, rah, rah. and I learned this lesson a tough way. I was a youth minister. She was a beautiful young lady, had a lot of issues. She was back in the uh, kind of goth days, told you. And she just had a lot of issues, a lot of family problems. She, she called up and she was like, you know, I'm just thinking about taking my life. And I was like, do you have a plan? You know, they tell you all the things you're supposed to ask. And it didn't seem like it was serious or whatever. And I'm like, well, let's get together. I want to get together with one of these ladies. And we're blah, blah, blah. And we do that in the morning. You know, I get a call. I get two in the morning. She's down at the hospital. She's tried to take her life. They're pumping her stomach. And I'm so frustrated because I'm like, dude, you've got to be kidding me. You have such a great life. And this is what I said to her in the psych ward, that. They called me down seven days later, right before they were letting her out to go into therapy. And they said, she just wants to talk to you, and we want her to talk to you. And I was like, cool, this is great, I can help, whatever. And I sat down, and the therapist sat here, and she sat across the table. And she said, so this seems to be a safe environment, I just need you to listen to her. I said, okay, can do that. This young lady, 16-year-old girl, looks across the table and says, you know, when they were pumping my stomach, and I'm vomiting all over the room. The last thing I needed to hear was, how could I think to do that? That'll square you away. John 3.18 says this. It's right after that 3.17. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Who believes in who? Jesus came to what? Not to condemn, but to what? Save. And so it says, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the Son, only Son of God. Do you get it? So, so it says like, the last thing that Jesus needed to do is to come on this earth and tell somebody who didn't believe in him they're wrong. They get it. That's powerful, powerful stuff. These experiences and these moments and this verse changed everything for us here at Three Taverns. So if you're watching or if you're going to share with a friend this week or if you're new here, I want you to hear me say this. I told you at the beginning, this is a different kind of place because we're really not trying to play religion and we're not trying to do fancy, you know, messages to whatever. We're just having fun being a community, exploring God, trying to bring light into the world. But when we hit this point and we hit this verse, we just made a commitment to ourselves because we were all had been condemned and we all caught ourselves having those moments where we did the same thing and dumped on somebody instead of lifting them up. And so we sat down and we wrote a guarantee, a guarantee to each other that then we extended to the entire community and everybody who comes through that door in fact, I would argue that if you don't embody this guarantee, you're probably not really part of the community yet. Don't leave. I'm just saying you haven't gotten it yet. Because in a community that's going to be healthy, there's going to be yuck. There's going to be yick. And the idea of a community is, like, we don't leave each other. We what? We, we come together to what? 
save. We're not in the condemnation business. But that's, you know, it's this, this guarantee to me is ridiculous that anybody in church as a Christian would ever have to say, I'm going to issue a no condemnation guarantee. Because Jesus said his whole mission was what? Not to condemn, to save. Why do we have to? Because humans are terrible people. Like, we're messed up. So we, we made, I'm just going to read you this guarantee. This is the guarantee that we wrote to each other. We guarantee that you will not be condemned. It's that simple. No one in our church has perfect actions, but we're all of value. Say that with me. We are all of value. All right. The Son of God came to what? To set us free and help us have the best life possible. God shows us the best way to live, but he does not condemn us. He loves us, and we commit to do the same by you, guaranteed. I don't care where you are. This is a guarantee. We are not in the condemnation business. Now, before all of the theological people just go running out the door, listen to me. Didn't say that we're not going to say sin is not sin. I want you to be my friend, iron that sharpens iron. If I'm at the edge of a cliff, I want you to rescue me, which means you might have to say to me, uh, have you ever read that verse? You know what I mean? Or save me from the cliff and then read me the verse. Wrong is wrong, right is right. We don't change those things. That comes from the word of God. This is about who we are to each other. You can have all the wrong actions in the world and you are not going to be condemned here. You could be the person who draws all the drugs. We're not going to condemn. We're going to do everything we can to get you a better life. And why are we doing that? Because you're our project. No, because we want to live in a community where we get to receive that by first giving it. There's just too much condemnation in the world. So, this, this one little John 3, 17 just changes my whole life. And then it, and it begins to blow through our church. It, it changes our whole church. And, and we have this whole thing. What happens is all of a sudden, when I know there's no condemnation, it dispels my fears. Like I can just be done. No, I still have those moments. I totally spiraled this week. Does anybody, we, we should never have I ever spiraled. <laughs> anybody, yeah, ever spiral? And I, was, I wigged out. I was tired. I was overwhelmed. I was up. Till four in the morning working and things still didn't work. And I was like, ah! And then I was said to Jamie later, I was like, I'm so sorry I reacted the way I did. And she was like, you have permission. So how freeing is that? For somebody, not to affirm that I should spiral, but to just say, you know, you have permission. It's okay. How, how great, because all of us have garbage at some point. And some of you are carrying garbage right now to know that you doesn't mean you have to go tell your garbage everybody, but the point is, is that you're free. Your fears can be dispelled. It hinges with this verse. This John 3, 17, this idea of no condemnation, helped me understand this next verse. Totally, it's a life changer too. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us, Right? To, to, be, to pay for our sins, to give us forgiveness. While we were what? Yet sinners. Do you get that? There's, in this God deal with humanity, there is just zero condemnation. While he knew our actions and behaviors were wrong and maybe even our hearts were wrong, when he could probably say, you're wrong, you're bad, he didn't. He died. He gave his life 
For, and this changes everything for me because now when I look at, say, Ed, we're picking on Ed today, or I look at Greg, or I look across, it doesn't matter where they're at. If I look through God's eyes, what do I see? See, I see a whole different picture. I see opportunity. I see hope. I see myself. This concept of a no condemnation guarantee this, that God doesn't con- condemn us, that he's not in the condemnation business, even sets me free. I can just give myself a little slack and take a breath because I do things wrong. I lose my temper. Things happen, whatever your deal is. You can just take a step back and take a breath and go, okay, yes, this behavior's wrong or I need to fix this. This isn't good for me. But you don't have to be sitting and thinking like, oh, God is out to get me. You see this, this thing, right? my prop for the day. I fought, a, I, fought, I fought a PVC pipe cutter and she won. And um, it's the first time in a long time I've had to go to the hospital on a, on a mission trip. And Keith was sick the whole time and Faye, I don't know what her head was doing in the door, but the wind blew it and slammed her head in the door. We thought she was going to die, but she didn't. Thank God. That really would be a dent to our mission trip. So, um, so <laughs> Ever's hands are all cut up. I can remember the day, right, if you were having this day, when you're just trying to live life and do something good, and it's all going to poo, and you would say to yourself, what have I, what have I done? This verse removes that. There is no, what have I done? It doesn't exist. That's, he's not in that business. He's in the rescuing, saving business. And so then, but then it added a little caveat for me, which was, okay, so if he didn't come to condemn me and he came to give me freedom and forgiveness and love through Jesus Christ to save me, and, and then if he did all this and put this plan together where I was wrong already and he knew it, like that's just another level. But then, then there was this great concept. John, same guy who wrote 317, 318, wrote 321. It says this, those who do what is right, because that's my goal, Right? I would like to do things well. Not, not, I want to please him, but at the same time, when you do things right, things work. So those who do what is right come into the light so that others can see that they are doing what God wants. I, I, I call it the show-off verse. Like, it's weird. It's like we're peacocks. You know, we're doing it right, and so it's like, and they look and they go, dude, your life's good. And we go, you get it? I mean, it literally says, if you're doing right, you come into the light so other people can see that God loves, forgives, transforms, changes lives, and they can see the same truth. And that just added a whole nother angle because now it's just not about he's not condemning me, he's not condemning us. It's like, The world needs to know what we didn't know, which is that God is in the rescue gig. He's not in the jail gig. Does that make sense? And it blew wide open for me. Like like that, John 3.16. I told you 17, 18. Oh, no, 3.16. That's whenever he gets hung up on. They need to read these 17, 18, and 21. But let's not ignore 3.16, Right? For God so what? Loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life, whatever your version is. So, so his entire intent was, you see, reiterated again, what? To punish us. 
His entire intent was, we should feel guilty, kneel on corn, take communion. Oh, woe is me. No, he sent his what? Son into the world so that we what? Could freaking live forever in a good state. And that's super, super, super important. So it's another point where it's just that God, Jesus, they're in the saving business. But he didn't just say it. It's not just these statements. Jesus actually did this when he was on earth. It's incredible stuff. I love the one where it seems so wrong. I want to know what happened to the guy. But nonetheless, this, this guy and this girl, they're, uh, they're making whoopee. They're not supposed to. It's, we call that adultery. And just so you know, adultery is wrong. We're not saying you're a bad person or we're better than you. We just want, if, you, if you're doing adultery, it never ends well. Okay, good. So, so now see how you can say something's wrong without condemning. It's just like, right? Anybody who's done adultery is going to tell you, yeah, that, that, was, that was less than. And that's helpful. So they're doing the adultery thing, and the religious people, the condemners, been around those guys? I mean, we think it's bad to go to church and somebody talk behind your back and, oh, yeah, they get his long hair and he smells like pot or whatever, you know, whatever it is. They drug this woman naked into the streets and threw her down before Jesus. And they looked at him and they said, smarty pants, and it was really, this is more the tone I'm trying to get across. Teacher, what should, what do you say we should do with her? And they're trying to trap him, right? He's Mr. Love and Forgiveness. She's there. Can you imagine that? <laughs> he says nothing. Just a long, silent pause. And then he looks at him and he says, Hey, you who, who don't have any sin, why don't you pick up the first stone? The crowd gets quiet. And he looks at him, he says, it's not my job to judge her. What? It says the older guys and gals in the crowd, those are the ones who piled up more sins, got wise, and they left. And then the younger ones left until no one was there. And he looks at this naked adulteress. And what does he say? Where are the people who are going to condemn you? It's incredible. Here it is. Jesus stood up. He said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. She got it. Did you see what happened? She figured out who he was. He was that different. He, peacock moment. <laughs> right? Peacock moment. <laughs> I'm getting requests from the crowd. Sorry. Okay, so... <laughs> Right. For those of you in the online, you're like, I'm checking out. You should just come have fun. Okay, good. All right, so no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and what? Sin no more. Do you see? He's fine telling her that that's a sin. But he does not condemn. This is the God we're in relationship with. And quite frankly, this is the God that Ackworth needs to meet because that, if you, you, you've been in church a long time, if you've been here, you're spoiled. You know that. Because like, even if you just went to other churches, you'd be like, oh, what? You've forgotten how good it is. But my point is this. 
everybody who's in a real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, our God, this is our God. It's not just words. This is him in action. Feet on the ground in the middle of the thick of it. And he says what? Neither do I condemn you. Just go and sin no more. Let's go. Let's move on. Let's get up. Let's get on with this. And tell her it's okay. How, what, if, what, if, what if we went out there with peace and grace to this whole community and somebody showed them that God instead of marching with the freaking this sign and that sign and the petition this and that. And don't, you got to use the King James Bible and if you drink, you're going to hell. And I, Listen, newsflash, people who don't know Jesus aren't concerned about going to hell. Those signs don't work. They don't. You're going to hell. Anybody else get saved as an adult like me? I could walk back to the street preacher all day long. I'm like, no, I'm not, because I don't believe what you believe. Conversion happens when God reaches inside our hearts and changes us. But that relationship that we're in is God saying, what? Go and send no more. What if Ackworth could meet that God? I cannot even imagine I just can't. I can't. All right. Ready? We're going to everybody get in the submarine. We're going down a little bit here for a second because I got to tell you one more thing that's so absolutely cool about this. Paul's writing a letter to, to the Romans, and he writes this verse. If you start to get lost in this, it's okay. Paul is like an English teacher on steroids. Okay, so we'll work through it. Ready? This is what Paul says. Therefore, he's talking about sin. Therefore, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. Do you get, okay, so wait, some about Adam and Eve, right? They chose to do it their way, and, and that messed the whole, everything up, all the way down. We are tempted now because we know good and evil, because our moms and dads all the way back know good and evil. So that original sin, as some will call it, but that, that sin, that first sin, death came into the world. That's just, that's just it. We're spiritually dead, 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 die dead, everything. People got so messed up because all of a sudden they had temptation and corruption because they knew right from wrong because they ate from that tree. And what God said is this, we can't let them live forever like this. That's not, we can't do that. That would be unloving. So God put a timer on it. This is why we die. Did you know that? We die to rescue us from this flesh. It's the only cure. People are like, oh, I'm going to die. They're dying. I'm like, let them go. Dude, can you imagine waking up and not being tempted? Waking up in the undefiled presence of a God. I'm like, baby, I love you. But, yeah, you get it? So death and condemnation came through one, the, the original sins. And one act of righteousness, Jesus, right? He said he gave his life to forgive us. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Just stop for a second. We were so cattywampus as human beings. Everybody, let's just say that. We were cattywampus. Can you say that? I don't even know how to spell it. You got it? We were cattywampus. Some of you still are. I am. That's why I read the Bible. 
God gave the Bible to us to uncattywampus us. He did not do this because he was being mean and put this law there and this that. What it said is we, we were so messed up. What he did is he gave us those laws, the, old, the Ten Commandments, all those laws. He gave them to humankind so that we would know what was right and what was wrong. But the problem with that is as soon as I'm aware that something's wrong, I'm now responsible for it. That's what it means by he gave it and it increased the trespass. I'm, not, I'm now accountable for what I know. I don't have to do it, but when I do it, I am what? Accountable. Just think about raising kids or your brothers or sisters. You, know, you get it, right? Okay. But where, when sin increased, grace abounded. So even though they knew they were wrong, God kept giving them ways, right, to get they sacrifice an animal. Do with this, do with that. You come back to me, pray to me, I'll forgive you. He's been doing this a long time. And then he sends Jesus the ultimate sacrifice. And so no more sacrifices are needed because Romans 5, 8, remember it? Before we were ever, when we were so messed up, he gave his life. Why? Because God, what? So loved the world, what? That he gave his only begotten son, what? So that we could, what? Have eternal life. P.S., 317, he didn't come here to judge us. He came here to what? Save us. P.S. 321, now that you've got your act together, peacock. <laughs> Show them the God who is so forgiving and so gracious and so loving that he is bigger than our sin. It, he doesn't, he is not hung up on this. It's not it. When sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen to me. There is only one way to get that forgiveness, and that's Jesus. I was like, that's very limiting. What about Buddha? I go, you need to study Buddha before you say that, because Buddha actually believed in Jesus. It was Buddha's followers who enshrined him. Buddha himself said, there is one greater than I. Didn't know that, did you? Almost every world religion starts with this knowledge of God, and then it gets mutated. One might look at some of the denominations currently calling themselves Christians and think the same thing. Our God is not in the condemnation business while we were condemned, he gave us the law to show us that we were kind of condemned. But the point of the law was to what? Uncattywampus us and free us from that because he wanted to save us. He is not trying to hold us captive. And so though by one man's disobedience, maybe you feel like it's your parents or your grandparents or your spouse or your kids. That through their disobedience, you're punished. You can just transfer the same kind of theological concept. Though it was original sin he's talking about. The point is, in Jesus is found freedom and justification. That word he uses, justification and righteousness. Uh, I'm going to give you an imperfect metaphor, just so you got it. You ready? So, who's, I don't want to stand up. Just do your hand. Never have I ever gotten a speeding ticket. So, when you went to court... You probably, Jesus wasn't there because he's been in heaven for a while, like long before cars. So he probably wasn't there. But in this example, if Jesus had been there, you would have gone in, okay? 
And you would have walked in and went, oh, hey, Jesus. And the judge would have been, you know him? And you'd be like, yeah. You already prepaid his ticket? Yeah, go. And in that example, Jesus would even have had a relationship with your insurance company. And your insurance wouldn't have gone up either. That's justification. The debt's already been paid. From God's perspective, this is, if, you have, if you believe in him, if you've asked him to save you, you are saved. Death came through one. You can argue it all you want, but every one of us knows from the moment we're born, we know how to do wrong and we struggle to do right. That is the original sin. But the good news is that through Jesus Christ, one life comes freedom and righteousness if only we believe. He's not your mama. He's not your boss. He's not your bad dad, your spouse, whoever it is who condemns you. He's not that Christian, that religious person. He's not the guy who wrote the book. That's, he's not condemning. He's saving. He's loving. So, you already heard it. If you already believe in him, you're no longer condemned. How cool is that? Anybody feel not condemned now in your life? then how could you ever condemn someone else? But if we want to be really honest about this, it is easy to cross that line, is it not? And this is why in our own lives, we need his saving grace, his forgiveness, his Holy Spirit to keep our hearts where they need to be, to keep them full of love, just like he loved us, to keep them full of forgiveness, just like he forgave us, to keep them full of recognizing that he has justified everybody on this planet if only they will believe. There is always hope. No one is perfect. Anything is possible. And everyone is welcome in his kingdom. And if we're going to peacock, that is the message that Ackworth needs to hear. That is the message I need to hear when I make a mistake. That is the message you need to hear. That is the message we need to give to each other. And if we will only believe, if you, if you're not a believer, will only believe, listen to me, I want to give you one final verse that you need to lean into. Written by Paul to the Romans. It's in Romans 8, and it says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're sitting in this room and you're not sure about your salvation, you don't think you get it. I got it. It took me forever to realize I could be saved and still struggle with wrong. I could get over that over time. But the first step is letting him begin to work in me. You have to believe that he is not in the condemnation business, that he is in the championing, cheering business. And our friends in this community need to hear that. Some of us need to hear that, and we need to lean into this verse, which is, there now there is therefore no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. If you believe in him, there is no condemnation. There will never be any condemnation, because that is not what he does. And if you're online and you're watching this, which I hope you saw a billboard and you just took the chance to watch this, know this, there is at least one place, there's probably many, where you can experience that no condemnation that God provides. Because it's awesome. He has set us free. Let us walk into the light. Let's change Ackworth. Yeah, love you.
How's it going, everybody? It's great to see you all today. <clears throat> Hi, Keith. <laughs> no, super stoked to be here. Just praise God, man. I don't know about you guys, but I feel moved. I didn't grow up in a church. I spent my entire life just bouncing around the country and just bouncing from churches to different parachurch groups. And I can tell you, it's not unique just to churches. Even church-like things, you feel the same thing. You're not doing it right. Well, this is how we love Jesus, by doing these things. If you're not doing it, you're wrong. You don't really love Jesus. And so I felt it too. And so it's a great place to be. And if it's your first time, I'm so glad you're here. It's so wonderful to meet you. If it's your first time, I'd love to check it out. And if you haven't seen these before, it's because they're new. But they're over on the table though, over there by the offering. They're over in the front uh, room in the foyer. But just give us a shot, right? So what we'd love to see is just give us five tries. That's all I would ask. Give us five chances to just see what could be like in a different place, in a different community that really wants to love you and love others and love God. And each time you come, just fill it out, put your information on there, just drop it in our offering plate on the back. If you want to connect, if you want to have prayer requests, if there's more things you'd like to know about, you can check a box. If you're not on the app already and you've been here for a while, get on the app. And so we do all of our prayers, people praying for each other, different events, all the great stuff. And there's a QR code on the bottom that you can connect with it. But please, just, we'd love to get to know you guys better. And we'd love to be able to serve you and love you in a way maybe that you haven't been loved before. So just give us a shot, pick up a card on your way out, or on your next way in, you can drop it in the plate. In addition, we've got a bunch of stuff going on. We've got Wednesday nights. It's incredible. If you've been missing out for a while, well, Wednesday's coming up again. So you're good to go. Surprise, every week. And so there's child care, so for people like me with lots of childs, that's a necessity. <laughs> so it's awesome stuff. The youth gets together as well. There's an incredible program. If you want to know more about that, you guys can always check in with Carrick and Katie, and they can really blow your guys' mind with what they're doing there, which is awesome. And then you can join us as well as we just, right now we're really, with Wednesday nights, really trying to get to know each other better, and really how can we reach the community, just like we're talking about. How can we really go out into Ackworth and really show them the love of God that he showed us, right? That's the goal. In addition, come up this March 15th. We've got tacos and trivia at 6.30. Woo! It'll be 12.30 per person. And the reason for that is because it's actually a really great event. So you want to be there. We hire a trivia guy that comes out, a professional. He's going to do a whole event. It's going to be great. And then, uh, and as well, if you haven't guessed by the first part, there's food. So we're going to do tacos as well to eat and have a great time. We would like to put out now, though, is that we need people to help cook. That's just the reality. And if you want to come and do that and show up early and just make it happen, uh, actually, I'd love you to just get with Ed up front. Want to raise your hand, Ed? He's right there. He's hard to miss, big guy. But uh, get with him. He's going to be taking care of that for us, which is awesome. And we'd love your help. Uh, you can help us and serve others. It'd be awesome. And I'm excited to see you guys there. In addition, as we're going through this series, you might have seen these out in the foyer, these tickets. Now these, come play, never have ever tickets, right? Pretty awesome. It's got all of our info there. Please don't leave today without taking at least one. Our goal, right, is to go and seek and save the lost and really show people a place that's really hard to find. Whether you've been here for a long time or a short time, I hope you've already experienced the difference, the difference in the people here, the community here, how we love one another. And so we'd love you to go out and just bring somebody back with you. Invite them to come play Never Have I Ever. And so that's what they're for. I love you guys. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next week. Take care.